and welcome to the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every week I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons that they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two moms parent in the same way. We should celebrate that and learn from one another. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today, and if you like what you hear, please share the show with a friend. Hello, everybody. I am so excited to bring you today's episode with the one and the only Shauna Nequist. Shauna has been one of my favorite authors forever. I remember specifically, and I share this with her, reading some of her work when we lived back in Virginia. And I heard her on a podcast talking about her writing and how she feels about hospitality and all these things. And I'm just like, you are my soul sister. And so getting to talk to her from her New York City apartment, life has changed quite a bit for Shauna over the last few years. And we talked about those transitions. We talked about being boy moms. We talked about her new book, I Guess I Haven't Learned That Yet, and how it's okay not to know things. And actually, it's in the not knowing that we can continue learning, being curious, and expanding who we are, what we believe, and how we accept others for what they believe as well. It's such a fantastic conversation, and I just feel so utterly humbled and grateful to have had the opportunity to chat with Shauna Nequist, and I'm excited to share it with you today. So let's get to my conversation with Shauna Nequist. All right, I'm so excited to be chatting with one of my very favorite authors, Shauna Nequist. Hi, Shauna. Hi, good morning. Good morning. I remember listening to you on a podcast, I want to say like eight years ago, I lived in Virginia at the time. I live in California now. I've lived all over the place, but isn't it funny when you can remember exactly where you were when you heard certain bits of information or heard somebody speak or you're listening to an audiobook and it just takes you right back to that time. Do you have that kind of visceral type <laughs> response to Oh, I absolutely do. And I think especially this, um, the sounds of people's voices, yes. right? Like every once in a while, I'll listen to a podcast of someone like maybe that I haven't heard from in a long time or I haven't listened for a long time. And you feel so like, oh, hi, old friend. That's right. It's like so much sense memory with people's voices, I think. That's right. And I just remember specifically you talking about food and hospitality and, and creating that and the way that you talk about food and the way that you incorporate all the senses when you describe eating and, and bringing people around the table and gathering and that sense of familiar, it just makes people feel so comfortable. And I remember being in that minivan in Virginia, driving through kind of the foresty areas. And I'll just never forget that. It's just so cool to be chatting with you now in a completely different locale. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you. So um, yeah. what part of California are you in right so, now? So I'm in Southern California, like the Orange County area. Oh, yeah, got it. Yeah, Wonderful. but I was raised in San Diego and have, have lived all over. I know you're a Midwesterner, and I lived in Ar in Ann Arbor for a few years as well, oh, and yeah. just love that area so, so much. But thanks for taking the time this morning. You have a new book coming out that talks all about how sometimes we start over in life and we become beginners again, and that is what your new book talks about. Sometimes when I talk to authors, they say when they write about a topic, they're challenged even more by the topic they're writing about, as if to get more firsthand knowledge. Were you ever afraid to be like, I'm like asking for the universe and asking God to throw me back into the beginner phase of a lot of areas of my life? Or were you already just there? Because we always are. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I would definitely say um, I write about what's unfolding in my life uh, 
I write to understand what happened and what's happening. Mm. Um, so I, I by no means said I want to write a book about starting over when I was back in my extremely settled life. Um, I wrote a book about starting over because that's what I had to do, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, and I there are a lot of people, I think, sometimes when you're close to a writer, um, anytime something big happens in a writer's life, they're like, this is going to make a great chapter. And you're like, nope, don't say that. That's yeah, not what I, I don't want that. that. Right. <laughs> It's true, but I don't want to hear it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So your new book, I guess I haven't learned that yet. It's such a great philosophy. And what I love being a motherhood podcast, this is not only something we as adults really need to wrap our minds around and we're going to be much better off of if we can acknowledge that we mostly know, we mostly don't know what we know in life because things are constantly evolving, but to then also accept that for ourselves and then model it for our kids. I think there's no greater gift. I hope so. You know, I think uh, when I think back, our kids are, our boys are 10 and 15 right now. When I think back, especially to like my 15 year old self, you know, I was an eldest child, kind of a perfectionist, kind of, you know, an achiever. And it would have really helped me to have somebody say over and over again, like, it's probably going to be okay. It's okay to get it wrong the first time. Nobody really knows either. Those messages would have been really welcome to me at that point. And so we're working really hard to kind of help our kids see life as an opportunity to learn, not an opportunity to excel. Hmm. Um, that asking questions is a really helpful way to walk through the world as opposed to like, you should already know the answers. We're really working hard to give them a sense of like humility and curiosity. And that, that idea that like everything is, can probably get figured out, just maybe not the first time. Hey everyone, I wanted to thank a show sponsor and today it's Skylight Frames. I talked about Skylight Frames last year and probably the year before that because it is literally my favorite gift to give for Mother's Day, Father's Day, birthdays, all the things. And with Mother's Day around the corner, I want you to consider giving a Skylight Frame. It's a touchscreen photo frame that you can actually email photos to. The photos appear in seconds, so the mom in your life, the grandma in your life, whoever, especially if they're at a distance, can get those remote pictures uploaded immediately and stay connected to the people they love most. Anyone can send photos, so you just give out the email address to family members or anyone that wants to contribute photos. They send photos easily from their phone or their camera, wherever, to that email address, and they get sent to the skylight frame. Plus, it has a beautiful 10-inch touchscreen. You can swipe through photos, and if my grandparents can set it up, your grandparents can set it up. Trust me. Skylight frames have a 100% satisfaction guarantee, and you can preload it, this is my recommendation, with your favorite photos for a special Mother's Day gift. So check out Skylight Frames, and as a special holiday offer, you can get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com and enter code MOMS. That's right. To get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame, just go to skylightframe.com and enter code MOMS. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E.com and use code MOMS for $10 off your purchase. Thanks Skylight Frames for sponsoring the show and giving us the gift that keeps on giving for Mother's Day. And that makes me think like so many times we say like, it's great to ask questions, you know, God will answer your questions, things like that. But then how often do we actually get a final definitive answer on most things? Like most things in life are evolving. There's fundamental truths that exist in the world, 
But a lot of the time, with the times, with experience, with personal experience, things change. What do you think about that? The finite, concrete answers versus allowing that evolution throughout your life. You know, I think it's, you know, some of it, uh, when people talk about like learning first concrete and then abstract and then sort of conceptual, you know, Mm -hmm. that that's how we all learn. And I think, yeah, like when your kids are little, the stove is hot, don't touch it. Right. Makes sense. As they start to get older, um, you know, to, to extend the metaphor, it's a little bit like it's hot, but you're going to have to decide how close to put your hand. Right. Mm -hmm. Like with a 15 year old, you're not saying like, it's hot and you get a timeout if you touch it, you're saying you're going to have to make decisions about your own hands next to that stove. And so the, the stove is still hot. That doesn't change. But the way we let our kids uh, walk through life is really different. The And we give them opportunities to make mistakes. I think that's a really important part of raising, especially teenagers. Um, and so we're right in that phase right now. I feel like my husband and I are always asking like, what are mistakes we're willing to let them make? Hmm. And what are ones we want to protect them from? And it changes every six months, every year, every two years, you know, as they grow and change and develop. Yeah. What I've heard from a lot of teenage moms is that the best thing they ever did or the thing that they've really learned and wish they had done more of when their children were younger is letting them to make those small mistakes because then they build up that ability to bounce back. They, you know, do data collection of like, huh, this plus this equals this. And I didn't know that. Yeah. And, and, and that problem solving skill is really important. And if we incubate our children and make the decisions for them and just say the stove is hot and they say, well, why? And we say, because I said so. And that just like kiboshes everything else. Then what skill set are they building up? Because then when the big things come, they're quite unprepared. Have you found that in your in your own life? And were you that, you know, aware of, of that kind of concept when your kids were young in order to build up to that point? Or is that something you've learned and walked through? So I have a family friend, um, her name is September and, um, she is one of my like parenting kind of mentors. And one of the things that she said, she has raised a a whole bunch of wonderful kids into like thriving adults. But one of the things that she says is every time you make a decision with your children, you ask, you ask yourself, how is this decision that I'm making contributing to the raising of an independent adult one day? So there's a three-year-old version of that. There's a 10-year-old version of that. There's a 15-year-old version of that. But the goal is independent adult. Mm -hmm. And so everything, we should be seeing everything through that lens. Not how do I raise a perfect three-year-old? Not how do I raise an extremely, you know, spectacular eight-year-old? But healthy, independent adult is always our long-term goal. Mm -hmm. And when you think about that and then you sort of move backwards from there, if the goal is healthy, independent of adult, it changes the way we give them opportunities and the way we give them freedoms and the way we help them understand understand consequences. Because you realize every year we should be giving them more and more skills that they're going to need out there in the world someday. And for me, that's a really inspiring thing, but it's also really challenging. I notice, especially, and I'm I'm sure a lot of us are like this, when I'm really tired or when I'm really stressed, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'll just do it. You know, Yes. (laughs) it's so much easier to just do it um, and get it done. But if I am tending well to my life and my schedule and my spirit, I have the capacity to be like, you know what? 
you can learn this. So, you know, I notice it, especially in the kitchen. I'm like, okay, you know what? Yes, of course I can just make this for you, but come on in. Let me show you how this works. Let me show you how this setting on the stove works. Let me show you what pan I would use. Let me show you what different ingredients you might like, or you can adjust. Mm -hmm. It takes a little more energy. But when I think about that long term of like, I want them to be the kinds of people who can, for example, feed themselves one day, um, it's worth it to every day or every couple days be giving them a couple new skill sets to take with them. I love that. We all need a friend like September, don't we? (laughs) That is so, so wise. And that's also why I love having friends that are a season beyond where I am because their perspective and their life experience can just is different than mine and can, can help set me up for success so much more when I'm, you know, getting, getting in on the ground level a little bit earlier. It's kind of like, it seems like this analogy has been popping up again and again with finances. Like if you invest, you know, $300 a month at 25 versus starting at 35 years old, you'll only have $300,000 by retirement versus you can be a millionaire by retirement just in that 10 year difference. So if you can think, you know, as a seasoned mom might, or think with the long term in mind of what you, you know, what types of relationships do you want to have with your teenagers? What kind of communication do you need to be setting up from toddlerhood even in order for them to build that trust? And, and it can apply to every facet of our relationships with our kids. Absolutely. And I think it's, that's where it's up to us to always be asking those questions. Again, the the easiest thing is just to like manage it for them, right? Right. Especially when they're little. But when we can get a little bit more outside of our, of of ourselves or like the crunch of our day to say, wait a minute, big picture is this setting them, them up for the best possible future. Right. So you moved from the Midwest to New York and drastic lifestyle difference. You uprooted kids. And by all accounts, most kids do not want to be ripped from friends, from stability, from what they know, being near extended family, all of these things. And we've moved a lot too, Shauna. I have four boys and we were in the military. So mm. we we understand. We understand. And I love the word that you used, giving them the skills. It's not just putting them in new environments. It's not just giving them new information as they get older. It's helping them to build new skills. And sometimes it takes them out of their comfort zone in order to do that. So tell me about the skill building that happened when you faced that move with your kids. How old were your boys when you moved to New York and what kinds of skills do they need to develop in mm-hmm. in that move and in that new settling? Uh, they were seven and 12. Okay. And um, we really involved them in the conversation about the move. Um, uh, We knew for a long time that we were going to move. We talked with them about a lot of the different options. And um, this was the place that the four of us were really, really excited about. And so this was not by any means like we broke the news to them. We had visited a lot of different places. And my older son at the time right now, he's really into like film and photography. But at the time, he was very into uh, like stage and musical theater, especially like Broadway stuff. Um, and then my younger son had a like little best friend who lived here and we moved into the same building that they lived in. And so they each had something for them that felt like this makes it work for me. So I think that was a really big part of it. Um, that they both had that sense of like, there's something there for me. But one of the biggest things I feel like we did, um, is we really tried to balance what were the we talked a lot about like that, like learning fatigue. Um, you know, when everything's new, we tried to really balance 
letting their home life and their evenings and their weekends be a little more chill than usual because we were aware of the amount of energy they were expending, like walking to school, being in a totally different kind of school environment, making new friends, learning new teachers, learning new everything. So we were always kind of gauging, like I think I thought when we first get here, um, we're going to go to museums three times a week. We're going to go to Broadway shows every other night. We're going to, and I realized like these kids are exhausted. This is not sustainable, right? <laughs> so I would say one of the biggest skills we learned was how, how to talk with each other about our needs on a given day and a given weekend, a given week, you know, we'd say, Hey, listen, we'd love to do one fun thing in the city this weekend. Can you let me know when you feel like you have the energy for it or what would feel good to you tonight? We, you know, settled into like Saturday afternoon was a good time for adventures, but Friday night for sure wasn't. Mm. Um, and so a lot of the work we did was helping them have language for I'm tired, I'm overwhelmed, I feel scared, this week was too hard, and then problem solving along the way. And so I think giving, letting our home be a really soft landing spot, knowing that they were expending a lot of energy just being new and figuring out new stuff. And then we also... Um, we were really hands-on with them, especially at the very beginning. They did not walk to school by themselves for, a, you know, for like two years. We did that with mm. them um, because they wanted us to, because it was good talk time, because it helped. It was one less thing that they had to figure out in the day if we were with them. And so there were ways that we were willing to flex our schedule. Like we, you know, Aaron and I both worked from home and before the pandemic, we had to decide like, listen, we're not going to schedule meetings during the time that our kids walk to and from school because that's time that we do with them. Mm. Of course, they can go by themselves, but we feel like we're asking them to do a lot in terms of new and outside of routine and unfamiliar. So this is something that we're going to offer to do as a support. So I feel like our first several months, um, we're always asking that kind of walking that line between what's new and good, but what also, where do you need comfort and support? Mm. Yeah, I found that in moving, yeah, incorporating the familiar with the new really helps. And so having mom and dad be there at school pickup and seeing that familiar face can go a long way in a new environment. Another thing I've been thinking a lot about, Shauna, lately is discomfort. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times there's discomfort when we change and when we don't. And I have a friend that has a really strained relationship with her sister and it's really hard to be around each other and there's just lots of contention. And then it's also hard setting boundaries, right? And then upholding those boundaries. But what we've been talking about is there's discomfort either way. There's discomfort in the status quo of the relationship as it's been. And then there's discomfort in the setting of the boundary and upholding that. But which one do you choose? There's discomfort either way. So which one is actually going to get you somewhere? So there's you know, discomfort or maybe kind of just apathy and staying in an environment that you've lived in forever and just kind of like, eh, like it's, there's a big wide world, but it's easier to stay put or it's easier to stay in this job or it's easier to fill in the blank. Right. But at the same time, there's discomfort in not feeling challenged and not expanding your mind and not, you know, getting answers to some new questions or building new skills. And then there's discomfort in the growing when you actually make the leap. Right. And so how do we help our kids to know when it's a good discomfort and a worth it discomfort? And how do we prompt them to choose discomfort when we know ultimately it will likely be for their good? I mean, those are great questions. I think some of it comes down to what we model for them. Yeah. 
you know, um, I hope, <laughs> who knows, but I hope that some of what I'm modeling for my kids right now is that, uh, like for me, um, publishing and some of the public stuff is pretty uncomfortable. It, it, I would say I would put it in the category of discomfort. Yeah. Um, a little nerve wracking. I'm not super thick skinned. Um, I don't love being um, like super visible. Okay. Mm. But I believe in it and I believe that it matters and I really want to offer uh, help and comfort and wisdom if I can. And so I'm willing to do it, but there is a definite aspect of discomfort to it. Mm. And I hope my kids see that, that I'm willing to do hard things for my work because I believe in it. But then I hope they also see that when I'm tired, I rest and that I invest in relationships that feel really mutual and loving mm -hmm. and that I take care of myself and our family in, in ways that feel restorative and, and gentle. And so I hope they see both of those things in me and in Aaron so that they know how to do both, how to do discomfort, conflict, boundary setting, bravery, but also how to do, um, meaningful rest and self-compassion and giving uh, ourselves and each other soft places to land when that's the right thing. Hello again. I wanted to thank another show sponsor and that is Baby Mori. Do you know what my favorite jammies for Cooper are? The Baby Mori soft, safe, and sustainable jammies made by Baby Mori. Their signature fabric is a unique blend of organic cotton and bamboo, which is perfect for my kids who have sensitive skin. I love that they use ethical methods to make it so they have a low impact on our planet. And these are truly jammies and clothes that you will want to pass down and can pass down from baby to baby because they're so well made. They make parenting simpler through innovative designs like the two-way zip. And if I can recommend anything for a new mom, it is a two-way zipper for those middle-of-the-night diaper changes without a doubt. Baby Mori is giving our listeners an exclusive offer of $25 off when you spend $50. So you guys, this is the best time to try it. Like I said, $25 off your $50 purchase and you can stock up on the softest clothing for your little kids. So visit babymori.com. That's B-A-B-Y-M-O-R-I.com. And you use code M-O-M-S, MOMS, for $25 off when you spend $50 on the softest clothing for babies and kids. Take advantage of that amazing deal and see for yourself how incredible Baby Mori baby clothes are. Thanks, Baby Mori, for sponsoring the show. I think it's a really powerful gift that being an author gives you is this ability to reflect and kind of synthesize these life lessons that you're learning. And obviously you have such a beautiful way of expressing yourself and, and putting pen to paper and, and speaking it as well, Shauna. Um, but I think a lot of us don't create that same space for that self-reflection and you don't have to be an author. You don't have to publish it. You don't even have to put it out on social media. It can be for you, but I often, you know, number one, definitely promote therapy and, and talking through things like that. But also, even if you don't go to a physical therapist's office, asking yourself questions as if a therapist is kind of prompting you along this journey of self-reflection in order to give yourself the space to question. And I think when we do that, when we create that space for ourselves, and that can be a very restorative practice, like what you're saying right now, you realize the things that you haven't quite learned yet. But I think you can also get more comfortable with being okay with what you don't know. When you realize I, I'm still a functioning adult and I still have accomplished a lot and I've still survived up to this point knowing what I 
don't know or not knowing what I do know or whatever, whatever makes sense, right? So how do you kind of reconcile sitting in that middle place when you really want an answer? And then is there a way to kind of get to a place where you're okay just not knowing and staying in that beginner phase or staying in that middle place a little bit longer? Does that make sense? Yeah, those are great questions. The first thing I would say, I really connect with what you were saying about that that process of self-reflection. Mm-hmm. I think um, many of us, there, certainly there have been seasons in my life where um, I was operating largely out of either what other people wanted for me or what I felt like I should want mm-hmm. instead of what was really working for me on the inside, you know? Mm-hmm. And so one thing I always tell people is it doesn't have, you know, sometimes it's easy to think like, uh-oh, I feel like I think I need to make some life changes. I think I need to do some deep self-reflection that would probably require like a week away with a life coach and I can't <laughs> afford it and I don't want to, so I'm just going to do none of it, right? Yes. And I would say, if you have any sense at all that there's something inside of you, uh, uh, that kind of discomfort or curiosity or pain or whatever, um, start with five minutes a day, literally set a phone timer, five minutes a day. Some people, even I tell people, um, some people hate writing in a journal because it feels too official. I love um, post-its and index cards and the little um, pads of paper you get at hotels, like next to the phone. Because <laughs> yeah. it feels very like unofficial. You can sort of sneak, you can sort of, trick your subconscious into saying really honest things when you know it's like just on like the back of a receipt or something. So set a five minute timer and write two words at the top, write pain and halfway down, write desire. What hurts and what do I want? That's it. If you get into the habit of asking that question, let's say every day for three weeks, you will find so much inside of you starting to bubble out, especially for women, especially for moms who are busy, whose time is not always their own. Um, We very rarely think meaningfully or feel in deep ways about our pain and our desire. We experience it when it starts bubbling out all over everything. But when we can start tracking that, when we say, you know what the pain is? It's not stress, it's loneliness. I need a friend. Or you know what the pain is? I need more help with this part of my parenting life. Or you know what the pain is? I haven't been to a doctor for way too long because I'm not prioritizing my own health. You, But just those five minutes a day start to make space for that. Mm. And then uh, desire, longing, what do you want? We live in a culture that doesn't allow women to speak very meaningfully about what we want, right? Okay. It's what we should want, what our kids needs, what, what need, what our family needs, what the right thing is. But it's okay to say, like, you know what I really want? I want to do something creative. Or I want more rest. Or I want to be alone more. Or I want a friend. Like, it's just giving ourselves those five minutes opens up something inside of us that can help us see our next couple big steps to take. That is so good. And I think you're so right that you will see these trends. And you know what I thought, Shauna, when you said the word pain and people listing out their pains? I thought people are going to write like my husband blank, my kids blank, da, 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 da. But what you listed out were I feel lonely. Uh-huh. I blank, blank, blank. And that is what's within your control. And mm-hmm. and if you can pick up on these patterns of, is this an issue that I've identified for myself that I actually have control over what happens next? Or am I just pushing on to somebody else? Because if it is my husband blank or my kids blank, try and dig deeper to get to the point of what does that, what am I feeling? What is that triggering in me? Because I can't change them. And so what can I do 
for me? What is the pain in me that is being brought out maybe by these circumstances, but it's ultimately my pain. It's not them inflicting pain on me. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think as women and as moms, martyr mothers, sometimes the pain thing feels easy to write, but that desire, a lot Mm -hmm. of women get stuck in, especially in different seasons of their life where they keep taking and taking off certain hats and putting other hats on. And they're so dynamic that they kind of lose the through thread of that desire for their life or purpose for their life. Any, any tips or any clarity that you have had in your own life with identifying desire, motivation, purpose, especially when maybe you had a career, you had kids, your kids are getting older, they need you less. And you're like, who am I? Any, any words of wisdom for that? Well, you know, I think, um, Anytime you're in a transition season, and one of the tricks about mothering or parenting in general is that it's all a transition season, right? Right, Like they're changing every year. They need different things from us every year. They're um, needing less from us every year. So, I mean, obviously there are certainly major transition points like empty nest or, you know, but Mm -hmm. um, every year the way they need us is different. And so I would say, number one, keep track daily, pain and desire, just track with your own self, get to know yourself really well. And then the other thing I would say is find a handful of people in your life that can reflect your own reality kind of back to you in meaningful ways. Again, women especially are so susceptible to the messaging about what other people want for us or what we should love. So like one of the things that I experienced several years ago is, um, I was just traveling constantly for work, lots of travel, lots of trips, lots of flights. Um, I I was going so many places and so many people thought that sounded so fun. It was amazing. Oh my gosh, you were in California and you were in Maine and you were in Florida and you went to Colorado. And, um, and so I thought like, yes, this must be fun. I should, I should (laughs) love this more. Right. Yeah. Uh Yeah. It took a couple people who were really close to me who were brave enough to say, I am watching you actively be miserable right now. And I think you're telling yourself you love it. But if this is what loving it looks like, we need to talk because you're not loving this. I so badly wanted to love it because I felt like I should. And because I felt guilty that if I had like someone else would love this. So I had to kind of for them. Wow. Um, And it took me saying, you know what I really love? I love being at home. Mm -hmm. I love it. And even if my friends who are mostly at home think my life looks extremely glamorous, maybe they would like to get jobs that involve business travel. They're welcome to. Right. And I'm going to make a little space. I'm going to make a little more space in the in the market for that because I'm not going to anymore. What I love is being home. And so, but it took some conversations with people who loved me enough to reflect back to me like, hey, pumpkin, this isn't working. And so I think one of the things you can do, and it's hard. But if you wanted to say to a friend, hey, I'd love to go for a walk this week, and I just want to give you like an open opportunity, are there any parts of my life where you see me struggling and like maybe I'm the last one to admit it? I just want to see if you can reflect that back to me. Those are really tricky conversations, but they're really, really valuable. Yeah, that's brave. That's brave. That's opening yourself up to that potential discomfort. But again, you're probably already feeling the discomfort. So being willing to to see it and hear it and then potentially make that shift towards something 
ultimately more comfortable, but more expansive. Like comfort's not always even the goal, just expansive and more you, more you. I think that is so, so important. I love that you say that you want to, you love being at home and I do too. And obviously I'm not sure how big your house was in, in the Midwest, but obviously you're in under a thousand square feet in New York right now. Like life (laughs) changed dramatically, like still four of you, but like your teenagers are getting bigger, like they're eating more, like things change. What has changed about being in a smaller physical space? Uh, what, what have you learned about, about that being closer to your oh, people, yeah. <laughs> nowhere to hide. Oh, I, mean, I, I could talk for days about this. It's been so fascinating. And then, you know, especially like we moved, um, like just over a year before the pandemic. So like everyone's spaces got a lot smaller in that season. Yeah. Um, so I would say one thing that I really love, there are a couple things I really love about it. And then there are a couple things that are just tricky, but one of the things that I love about it is, um, you sort of lose that idea of your home as um, something to look at and it becomes very much something to use. Yes. Every square inch of this apartment is useful and in use and it's way less about how it looks, it looking pretty or sophisticated or creative or cool or like the, it's just, does it work? Right. You start to think it like my um, brother's a sailor and he came to visit and he was like, this is almost like living on a boat. Like, <laughs> You know, when you live on a boat, everything, there's like a little compartment for everything. Everything has a place and there's one of everything, but it's, you know, um, there's like little cubby holes everywhere. And our apartment is a little bit like that where everything has to be useful and everything has, has to have a place. And that means we are constantly getting rid of things. We have like, I joke that we have like a one in one out policy for everything. Like one of my kids wanted to get a lizard and I was like, okay, yeah, but then I move out. Yeah. Who's going? Yeah. In this apartment. You know, but it, so it, it, but what that does is we don't have a lot of stuff. We're not precious about our stuff. Um, the apartment can be, it can look like it has been ransacked and 20 minutes of cleaning, it's back in ship shape. And so there's something not stressful. I don't worry about cleaning a big house. I don't worry about if someone breaks a dish. I don't worry about someone being impressed at how fancy my whatever my living room is. It's very functional, and I like that. Mm-hmm. Is there room for people to sit down? I mean, yes, if you count the floor. Um, is there enough? So like, you have really functional questions, and I really love that. Yeah. And then it also, like, uh, you know, we joke about it. I think some people think that like raising teenagers in the city would be really dangerous um, or that they, they get like a lot of freedom. And we're like, uh, sort of. Okay. But if they have friends over, I can reach out my hand and touch them from any point in the apartment. Right. right? Like it's not like they're in the basement. It's not like they're in a bonus room. If they have friends over, I can see and hear them all the time. Right. So there's just this very kind of close um right up in each other's business way of living. And it's been an adjustment, but I actually really, really like it. I can see how that would be amazing. And that is funny comparing it to a boat. I think you're probably exactly right. And I think a lot of people found that when they were forced into their homes and forced to forced to work and live in school and be and enjoy in their homes, they took a hard look at what was necessary and what was not and what worked and what didn't. And I think a lot of us will be better for that ultimately with that cleansing and that clarity. I think that is so fantastic. Shauna, we could just talk forever because this, I guess I haven't learned that yet, applies to every single aspect of life, but it's just been so thought provoking for me 
And I do wonder, so many people start out, you know, early 20s thinking by the time I'm 30, like that's when I'm going to be a real adult and I'm going to have like life figured out. Like, I don't know if you felt that way, but it seems to be like a common sentiment of, you know, by 30, like, you know what's going on. Like you've lived some life and I'm going to have, you know, all my ducks in a row by 30. But I think I'm, I'm, how old am I? 38. My husband and I just had this conversation and I, (laughs) and I misguessed his age by a year this (laughs) today, but I'm 38. And as I'm getting older, it's like, I am almost more proud of the ways that I'm still learning versus Mm -hmm. feeling locked in. Tell me by the end of writing this book, is there any surprising thoughts or clarity or I don't know, takeaways that you had that maybe surprised you or that just stuck out to you after going through this process of writing this? It's very possible that all of our lives will change unexpectedly more often and more dramatically than we think, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The idea that we're in control of most of our major life choices is sort of a myth. And I think we've seen that proven over and over the last couple of years. Um, but, uh, like I, I hear people talk a lot about their forever houses yes. and it, every time I hear it, I'm like, uh, I mean, maybe, right? right. Like I appreciate the sentiment, but who knows about forever right now? And instead of that being scary at this point for me, that feels exciting and energizing. Mm. Um, there is a future that I absolutely cannot predict and that's okay. But here are a couple things I know about it. I know that there are good people in the world and that you can ask for help whenever you need it. I know that any new place and new way of living can be learned. It just takes a little while to do the learning. I know that the world is still beautiful. I know that there's still a lot to experience. I know that relationships still matter, that character still matters, that art and beauty still matter, that prayer still matters. And I can live with those things anywhere in the world. And I could live 10 more places or I could live in this apartment till the day I die. And I'm going to be surprised either way because life surprises us. And also there's still a lot that we can trust in and be hopeful about, even when we have no idea what the future is going to hold. Does that make sense? 100%. And I love that you said you're going to feel those things and take those things no matter where you are. And I think when we can accept that, and it's not the grass is greener mentality, oh, maybe we should move in order to feel this way or to achieve this goal or whatever. You can, you can access any of those feelings right where you are if you're willing to, to see it that way. Um, I think that is so amazing. Ugh, I guess I haven't learned that yet. Out April 12th. I'm going to link it at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com. Shauna, you've been so generous with your time. I always ask my guests one final question, and it's mm-hmm. this. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? Oh, I mean, this is the, the first thing that comes to mind. So I think a lot of people do this, but when I was first thinking about becoming a mother, I spent so much time thinking about and reading about and like focusing my mind on like pregnancy, labor and delivery and like baby season. (laughs) It's like, I just like never, I never read a book about like 10 year olds or teenagers or like, it just, it was so focused on the beginning couple stages. And one thing I always love to tell young moms is I remember when I got married, when Aaron and I got married, all of a sudden we were like, wait a minute this is the coolest thing. My favorite person lives in my house with me all the time. And 
as your kids start to get older, the same thing happens. My favorite people live in my house and I get to watch movies with them and do puzzles with them and snuggle with them and talk about our days together and cook together and go for walks together. And people tell you over and over again, and I understand why people talk a lot about how hard it is. And it is. Mm-hmm. It is also just an, such a joy and not even like a, I believe in it and it's an important thing kind of joy, but just like, I like them. Like I learn a lot from my kids and they make me laugh and they teach me so much. And my life is so much happier, not just like more meaningful, just plain happier when I get it. Like, okay. So my, I'm looking out my window right now. I live on the third floor and Mac is 10 and a half and he walks himself home from school and he comes around the corner and I can see him watch across, walk across the um, courtyard from my window and he stops at the tree and he waves at me until he can get my attention. Cause this is where I'm sitting, where I'm working all the time until he gets home from school. And that's when I stop working. So he comes up and he waves at me and I wave back. And then I know this sounds just nutty. We dance, we do dance moves back and forth. So he does a move and then I do a move oh. and he's down on the ground and I'm up in the, and we just crack each other up trying to do sillier and sillier moves, especially knowing that everyone can see him, but no one can see me except <laughs> he can see me. And it's like, I'm going to remember that all my life. Nobody else in my life gets me to do silly dance moves in front of my window in New York City in the middle of the day. And I'm just so delighted that he gets to be in my house every day that like one of my favorite people gets to live here. I love that. And I'm like tearing up. My oldest is 12 and I just had a baby a few months ago because we're crazy like that. And that's fun. And that's what you just said is not in any parenting book. And sometimes you have to stop the parenting. You know, there's no teaching going on in that moment. There's a, but there's connecting. That connection will endure and endear you to one another more than any. Let's have a sit down and let's make sure you know this, 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 and this, or let's potty train or whatever. Sometimes you just have to be with your kids to acknowledge you're in the presence of another spectacular human. Lucky us, lucky us. And to take off that that parenting, teaching, go, 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 do, do, do hat for just a sec to see them and be like, glad you're my wife. I'm glad mm-hmm. you're mine. And look at that. And he'll never forget that either. Oh, well, I mean, I hope so. Yeah. I know my whole life I will think back at that that little guy standing by the tree <laughs> and those little dance moves. And I think, I think you're exactly right that it is, especially when you've got little ones, it's easy to always be thinking of the training and teaching aspect of it. But... Um, what a gift we give ourselves, I think, when we just let ourselves be delighted by them. Agreed. Thank you, Shauna. This has been the most wonderful conversation. I feel so lucky to have gotten to speak with you this morning. Oh, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Shauna just has a way of connecting with everyone she talks to. And I was always so impressed to hear her on other podcasts and talking with, you know, great interviewers. And a lot of times she knew them personally and... So to feel like, as I'm talking to Shauna Nequist, that there's that familial, friendly compatibility that I hear with other podcasters and other interviewers that she's been on, it kind of makes me feel amazing. So thank you, Shauna, for coming on the show and just delighting our audience with your insights and your wisdom and this new book. I guess I haven't learned that yet. 
I'm curious to know from you guys listening, what do you feel like you have not learned yet? Like what is the outstanding question that is still ruminating? And sometimes the things that we haven't learned, we don't even realize yet. But I think when we can step into that and own that and still be okay and still be functional humans and adults, I think that's a great, great place to be. So pick up Shauna's new book. I'll link to where you can find that at extraordinarymomspodcast.com. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at jessicadalquist3. Thanks again for tuning in today, and we'll see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.